Hello. Israel is a very unhappy and divided society, and relations with the Palestinians are now so bad there is fear of another intifada, and it's reported that increasing numbers of young Israelis are applying for European passports. In Israel on Saturday night, over a week ago, half a million protesters, according to the organisers, certainly hundreds of thousands, according to the BBC, rallied against the government's plans, which would give Israel's parliament, the Knesset, the power to overrule Supreme Court decisions with a simple majority and the power to nominate judges. Israel has no second chamber and no written constitution, so if this measure goes through, there can be no appeal. If you haven't heard much about this, then that may be because the Israel-Palestine situation is so controversial that some journalists may be deterred from reporting because of fear of being called anti-Semitic. And some British Jews, while remaining publicly loyal to Israel, are privately in despair about the Netanyahu government, which includes, among its members, extreme right-wingers and some who are openly called racists by their Israeli critics. One British Jewish politician who has been openly critical of the Israeli government is the MP Dame Margaret Hodge, who is the parliamentary chair of the Jewish labor movement. She returned from a week in Israel at the beginning of this month and spoke at a protest rally a week last Sunday in Parliament Square. Now, Margaret Hodge, thank you very much for joining us. Why did you decide to speak out on this issue? Because there are some in the British Jewish community who think you should not have done so. I visited Israel a couple of weeks ago. I went there for about eight days. I spent half that time with like-minded MPs, the Labour Friends of Israel, a group of MPs, and half the time with an NGO who are, are working in Israel, trying to bring, at grassroots level, trying to bring Jewish Israelis and Arab Israelis and Palestinians together. In the first half of that week, I met really all the political actors. And in the second half of the week, I met the activists and a lot of uh, wonderful people working at grassroots level. And I came back, if I'm honest, Roger, rather depressed because politics in Israel is very broken. We've got this first extreme right-wing government. We'll come back to that. We've got a totally disorganised opposition, and it doesn't look as if they're going to get their act together very well. We've got a the PLA representative that we met was very aggressive and uh, arrogant a little bit, and you could not see any potential negotiations going on at that level. And we also met some experts on Iran, and it really does look as if the threat of Iran is imminent. And then we come back to what's happening with the extreme right-wing government. They have this proposal which would completely undermine the independence of the judiciary in Israel. That is really important because one of the great things about Israel in that region is that it used to proclaim itself as the only genuine democracy. And are you saying, are you saying now there is a real possibility that Israel will cease to be a democracy? if these measures are pushed through and the more right-wing members of Mr Netanyahu's government have their way? I think if you destroy an independent judiciary, you're undermining a democracy. But couple that particularly in Israel with the following factors, that firstly, 
They haven't got a written constitution, so that doesn't provide any defence against abuse of power by the executive. They haven't got a second chamber, as a, and this proposal to have politically appointed judges and to have this overriding clause whereby any judgment from the Supreme Court could be overridden by the Knesset by a simple majority of one in the Knesset, I think undermines that essential pillar in a democracy of an independent judiciary. But there are some British Jews who would say, Margaret, we probably agree with you, but we must keep this within the community. Israel and Jews have enough enemies out there without you adding your criticism. And that must have been put to you. I remember David Bedil writing about the... He resented the fact that British Jews were expected to be answerable for Israel. Now, you must have thought that through and decided in the end that wasn't sufficient reasons for speaking out. But was it difficult for you? It was very difficult. And let me tell you the circumstances. First of all, Israel is a pretty unique nation in that it's... Uh, hugely important to the Israelis living there, but it's also massively important to the Jewish community. It's the only Jewish state, and therefore it matters uh, to all of us. So I felt that because politics locally was so broken, because there's heightened violence, there's the possibility of another intifada, a lot of people talk to me about that, that I felt a duty on Jews in the diaspora to speak out. We always speak out for Israel when Israel is attacked by forces outside Israel. This is a point that we have to speak out for Israel when Israel is attacked by forces within Israel. Uh, some would say that you are being manipulated to a degree by the hard left. And they say, for example, that the demonstrations that you attended on Sunday in London, there were a lot of hard left people around. Are you worried about that charge? I think that is such an absurd charge, Roger. This isn't a left-right issue. This is about the rule of law and an independent judiciary in a thriving democracy. And whether you're on the left or the right of politics, you unite over that. To pretend that the people at the demonstration yesterday were all lefties is just a nonsense. I knew lots of them, and I can tell you, they were not natural supporters even of our new modern Labour Party. Now, there are quite a number of journalists who are very wary are, uh, of reporting upon the Middle East and, and on uh, Israel and Palestine in particular. They're worried about being called, called anti-Semitic. And you yourself, of course, uh, in your uh, criticisms of your former leadership under Jeremy Corbyn, did call out what you see was anti-Semitism in the criticism of Israel. Now, for a journalist who is not as expert as, 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 as you are, obviously, in these circumstances, how do you distinguish between anti-Semitic criticism of Israel and legitimate criticism of Israel? I think that's pretty straightforward. What people on the hard left did when in being anti-Semitic was assume that if you're Jewish, you are inevitably a member as a Zionist, which actually I am, I do believe in the importance of the existence of the State of Israel, but they then went on to assume that you were a paid-up member of the Netanyahu fan club, which I've never been. But 
you can quite easily support the concept and the existence of Israel, but be critical of the government. And indeed, within Israel itself, one of the features of the current crisis is that Israel itself is so divided. And we see these massive demonstrations every weekend now in Israel. Now, I've heard some people say in Israel, look, the situation is so bad, we are so divided that we should look up that we should look at the possibility, as it were, of a federal Israel, in which it's almost a canton-like situation, as it is in Switzerland, because there's no relationship, really, between the Israelis of Tel Aviv or the more liberal Israelis of Tel Aviv and the more orthodox of East Jerusalem, and that actually agreement is now impossible. So actually Israel needs to think of itself in a different way and perhaps as a sort of federal state. I think it's a very small country, It's got a lot of security issues within Israel itself and its relationship with uh, Palestinians and neighboring Palestinians in the occupied territories and Palestinians and Arabs in the neighboring countries. And I think the thought of having a federal Israel at, at this point in time is just not relevant to the challenges facing it. Going back to you, the reason why I think outside voices need to be heard is that because it's such a divided country, Because politics is in such a mess, because there's so much danger, somebody has to, from outside, not just call out what's wrong, but then I do think it's probably the Americans have got to try and muscle their way in to trying to calm it down and get negotiations going over between Israelis and then between Israel and Palestinians. Because you remain committed to a two-country solution to this. I think it's completely unrealistic at this point in time. You just even can't start thinking about it. It's not there. But historically, over time, I cannot see another way in which we will enable Jews, Arabs, Palestinians to live peacefully in that region of the world. Now, you sound to me as if uh, understandably angry, but understandably deeply saddened. You talked in uh, the article you wrote for The Guardian about the proposals that are going through at the moment uh, in Israel from the Netanyahu government, and you said they will end the dreams of post-war idealistic Zionists who sought to build a new Jerusalem in the Middle East. Were you one of them? (laughs) I certainly went in the 60s as a student and spent, you know, four months in Israel, uh, three months on a kibbutz, And I must say to you, Roger, I thought I was in heaven. Uh, I was an 18, 19, 19-year-old. 19, and uh, you got up in the morning at three and you toiled the soil until 10 o'clock in the morning, half past 10, when it got too hot. And then you spent the rest of the day sitting around the swimming pool talking about Rousseau and Marx. I couldn't think of anything more wonderful and idyllic than that. So I did think in those days that the Jerusalem they were trying to build was stunning. Now, obviously, things moved on. Obviously, things moved on from that. But some of the measures that are being proposed or being enacted by Netanyahu and his very right-wing colleagues at this point in time are terribly regressive. There's all the issue of the settlements, but let's leave that on one side for the moment and the action they're taking there. There are proposals, for example attacking the LGBTQ plus community who are anathema to a certain section of the religious Jewish community. 
There are proposed that at uh, events that are funded by the public purse, men and women should be segregated. There is money going into funding the teaching of religion in schools, but at the expense of the teaching of reading, writing and arithmetic. And there's a really terrible proposal, which I worry about a lot, is that there are wonderful people working in Israel trying to bring the communities together through the NGO sector. Indeed, our government funds some really, really good projects, and I was pleased to see them. But what the government is proposing is that they should introduce really extremely high tax rates on any investment coming into the NGO sector from abroad. And that's from places like the UK or from the UN or from the EU or whatever. And that would kill or undermine or diminish the really critical role the NGO sector is playing in bringing communities together. So are you saying not only that Israel is in danger of ceasing to be a democracy, or certainly a democracy that you would approve of. But could you go further and say, if it's not careful, it could become what its critics have said it was, and it clearly isn't yet, a racist state? Where if you belong, if you're Jewish, there's a set of rules applied to you, and if you're not Jewish, there's a set of those rules don't apply and those privileges don't apply. I'm always very, very reluctant and careful with my language, Roger, when I talk about... Israel because of our history and the history of discrimination and uh, of Jews down the ages. So I'm always very, very careful. But I think Israel is at a dangerous point and we haven't talked about the settlements, but clearly it's not just the creation of the new settlements that this administration is going for gun for leather. But I went to an Arab village looking over Mount Zion on, in East Jerusalem And there, the government is starting to evict Arab citizens from their homes, where they've been for two, three generations, on the grounds that ownership in the deep, dark, distant past was with the Jews. And that was horrific. Now, you know, the security issues hit both communities. I went to a kibbutz on the Gaza border, which had also been there since uh, 1951. Actually, it was set up by... Egyptian Jews escaping from Egypt after the war, and I was one of those, except we went to the UK, also been there for three generations, and they are under constant assault of rockets coming over to them for Gaza. So the issue around the treatment of Palestinians and built around this issue of security is another challenge. What is really interesting is when you talk to everybody, the first thing they talk about is security. And they don't make the link between security and democracy. So is Israel possibly going to become a racist state? I'm just not prepared to use that language. Uh, but I think... I, know, that... and I absolutely understand why you wouldn't do it. But if it becomes a state in which the defining factor in your role in that state is your birth and the race to which you're born, It's difficult to find other words for it. Well, let, let's just... That's why this campaigning and uh, speaking out and calling out the actions that are happening at the moment is so important. Not for me, living in the comfort of London, where I've spent most of my life, but for the hundreds of thousands of Israelis, many of whom come out to protest. I mean, one of the depressing features in Israel is how many Israelis are now 
trying to secure European passports because they're worried about the future of their country. Another thing we heard a lot about was sort of tech companies. Israel is incredible as an advanced technology economy, but there are a number of tech companies who feel the instability and the nature of the uh, country and the way it's going doesn't make it a good place to invest. So there's a lot of fear everywhere. And what I want to do is be one of the voices saying, hang on a minute, stop, think again, and certainly withdraw the proposals around an independent judiciary, and then try and work in a more collaborative, collective, unifying, not uh, dividing way. And finally, Margaret Hodge, you've been openly critical of Israel, but can you just give some advice to journalists about the mistakes they perhaps are in danger of making. You obviously believe the media has got a lot of things wrong about Israel, certainly in the past. So are there any things that you would want to warn journalists against in the coverage of this present situation? Just be very careful of the words you use and don't assume that every Jew is a supporter of the current regime in the wonderful state of Israel. Margaret Hodge, thank you very much indeed for talking to us. Thank you. Well, since that interview took place, there have been conversations between the U.S. President Joe Biden and Benjamin Netanyahu designed to lower the temperature. But it still looks as though the Israeli government is refusing to back down on its proposals, though it may be prepared to delay them. Well, that's all for now, though we are planning on an extra program this week. If you're enjoying these podcasts, please do support us. This month, we're even less than 40p an episode. Oh, a bargain. You can pay for this easily using the link on our website and in the description of this program on your podcast platform. You can get in touch with interview ideas and questions on Twitter by using at bbroger or on Mastodon using at rogerbolton at mastodonapp.uk or you can send us an email to roger at rogerboltonsbeebwatch.com. This podcast was presented by me, Roger Bolton, and it was produced by Kate Dixon. The sound was by Clifton Bank Studios, and special thanks to Quinn Genty. It was a good egg production.